And with that, please make sure you have your Bibles on hand. I don't want you to just take my word for it or just uh, kind of take the lazy approach and look at the verses on the screen as they pop up. I want you to see in your own Bibles uh, this wonderful uh, text that God has for us today. Uh, the text we've been looking at all month long, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're in Hebrews 12. We'll get there in just a few moments. When I think of perseverance, I think of this guy. Do you recognize this guy? His name is Cliff Young. Cliff Young, before he passed, was an Australian sheep herder and potato farmer. <laughs> and so he is actually, in my mind, one of the greatest examples of perseverance. You see, Cliff Young was a, a poor sheep farmer for most of his life. He lived on a farm with about 2,000 acres and about 2,000 head of sheep. And since he was poor, he didn't have a four-wheel drive vehicle and he didn't even have a horse. So when bad weather was coming in, there were times that he would spend upwards of three straight days running across his 2,000-acre farm and rounding up all of his sheep to get him into a safe place when the bad weather was coming. And so something special happened in 1983. There was an inaugural event there in Sydney, Australia. Australia began hosting what at the time was the most grueling foot race on earth. It was a 543 mile ultra marathon. And so 150 elite runners from around the world converged upon Sydney, Australia to run 543 miles over a seven day period. What they basically do is run for 18 hours and then sleep for six and then get up and run another 18 hours. And they would do this for seven days. Well, the 150 elite runners show up and guess who else shows up? <laughs> Good old Cliff Young. He shows up at the starting line looking much like this. He was wearing his galoshes, his rubber rain boots over his shoes. He was wearing this goofy sheep farmer hat and he didn't look at all like a runner. They thought it was a joke when he shows up and tries to sign up for the race. But they went ahead and humored him and gave him his number. And Cliff Young was an official racer in that 543 mile marathon. Well, they all took to the starting line and all the racers took off when the gun fired and everyone in the crowd that was watching thought that Cliff Young was a joke, especially when he started running because he didn't really run. He kind of had like a, an old man shuffle, like an old feller chasing after the ice cream truck. You know, he just kind of shuffled his feet. It wasn't much of a run. And they looked at him and they start laughing and this has got to be a joke, but he just kept shuffling down the road, even though he was behind the pack. Well, all of Australia was glued to their TV sets, watching this race unfold over the next few days. And after a day or so, Cliff took the lead. And they couldn't believe their eyes that this 61-year-old sheep farmer was actually leading the pack. And he shuffled and shuffled. When they slept for six hours, he slept for about two. He hardly slept at all. And after that gun fired five days, 15 hours and four minutes later, after shuffling for 543 miles, Cliff Young crossed the finish line in first place. And catch this. The second place runner wasn't just a few seconds behind Cliff. 
He wasn't even a few minutes behind Cliff. The second place runner finished nine hours, 56 minutes behind the 61-year-old sheep farmer, Cliff Young. Well, Cliff could persevere through a 543-mile foot race. So I tend to think that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, certainly should be able to persevere through this Jesus race that Jesus Christ has given us to run. Amen? Amen. Today's message, Run the Race, Part 4. Once again, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. This has been our theme verse for the month of August. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, here we are two-thirds of the way through the month of August, and I want to encourage you to keep up the good work. Early in the month, many of you made a decision to set a physical goal for yourself and accomplish that physical goal during the month of August. And so I just want to say way to go. Those of you who have been digging deep and and persevering and pushing through some pain this month in order to accomplish that goal, way to go. Losing five pounds isn't easy, is it? Cutting back on the the monster energy drinks or the sodas or the donuts. I love donuts. Cutting back on those hasn't been easy this month, but way to go. Those of you who have practiced and exercised some self-control and some restraint this month, way to go. Those goals aren't easy. Uh, Learning to control ourselves to uh, not uh, be lazy and instead go to the gym three days a week, you know, that's not easy. But way to go, those of you who have been pushing through that pain and difficulty this month. I love what James says in James 1.4. He says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James could have just as easily said it this way, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may finish your Jesus race strong. Amen? God wants you to finish your Jesus race strong. I believe that one of my God-given responsibilities this month is to encourage you to keep running strong and not give up. So I've been trying to do that all month long, and I hope that before God I've done that faithfully. Now, there are just nine days left in the month. So, you know, we're coming down the home stretch, and so I encourage you just to press on and persevere toward that goal. You're coming down this home stretch, so some of you, if you set that goal to lose five pounds, you've just got a couple more pounds to go. Those of you who have laid off monsters for the past two to three weeks, hey, you've just got a week and a half left to go. So keep pressing on. Keep persevering. Don't let up on carrying out that goal that you have set before God. Whatever your physical goal is this month, finish strong. Finish strong. Amen? Amen. Well, now this month I've been talking more than usual about physical goals and about physical fitness. I think it's been an important month to do that. But the truth is, over the past year or so, we've not just gotten physically lazy, 
we've also gotten a bit spiritually lazy, right? Most of you would admit during COVID, you didn't exercise as much as you used to. You didn't get as many steps in in a day as you used to. A lot of us got physically lazy and along with that, and the research does back this up, we became a bit spiritually lazy as well. And so what do we do about that? Well, God, I believe, as I've shared with you in recent Sundays, is expecting that as you've lit a fire underneath yourself to carry out a physical goal, God is simultaneously lighting a spiritual fire under you to carry out a much more important spiritual goal. And so over these next couple Sundays, I want us to talk more specifically about running this spiritual race and how to finish strong in this spiritual race as we carry out some specific goals in the spiritual realm that God has set for us. Now, I'd like to point out some very important insight from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, an insight that you may have missed in the past. And it goes like this. You're not running this Jesus race alone. You're running in a team race. We really haven't talked much about this this month, but you find it right there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Well, here in America, we, we talk a lot about individualism. We talk about individual rights. We talk about individual liberties. We talk about individual expression. We are a me-centered culture. Wouldn't you agree? We're a me-centered culture. But sometimes we forget that being me-centered, while it's very American, is not very biblical. It's not very biblical. The Bible does not teach us to be me-centered. It teaches us to be God-centered and then secondly, to be others-centered. So God's Word does emphasize individual responsibility, but the New Testament puts a much stronger emphasis on us and we than it does on me. You look just at those 27 books of the New Testament. Of those 27 books of the New Testament, only five of those were written to individuals. Twenty-two of them were written to groups of Christians or churches. I want you to take another look here at Hebrews 12, verse 1. I'd like you to count how many times we see the words we or us in this one verse. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How many times do we find those two words? Four times you find the word we or us in that one verse. Four times. So don't forget it. You're not running this Jesus race alone. I'm running it with you. Amen? That's good news, isn't it? You're not running it alone. Your church family is running this Jesus race with you. We are in a team race. Now, on one hand, that takes some of the some of the pressure off of you, doesn't it? You're not running this Jesus race alone. You've got an entire church family that is running with you and fighting with you and cheering you on as you run your race. That's taking some weight off our shoulders, isn't it? You're not in this alone. That's a wonderful blessing on one hand. But on the other hand, running a team race means that there's some accountability there. It means your team needs you. Your team is counting on you. It's an individual race. If when you fail, it only affects you. But when it's a team race, if you decide to poop out and throw in the towel and give up, it doesn't just affect you, does it? It affects the entire 
team. Imagine if the center forward on a soccer team was on a breakaway about ready to score on the opponents. And he decided, hey, I'm going to sit down on the grass and start picking some daisies. That affects the entire team, doesn't it? And the same goes for in the spiritual realm as well. It doesn't just affect you. It affects the entire church. So many Christians seem to think that it doesn't make much of a difference if they skip church most Sundays. That eh, doesn't really affect anybody. They think it doesn't matter if they don't give their tithe. It doesn't matter much if they don't serve in a ministry. It doesn't matter much if they don't live out their faith. But the Bible makes it clear that as one of us drops the ball, it has ripple effects through the entire body, because even a small part, even the pinky toe, when you stub it against the corner of your dresser in the middle of the night, when you're headed to the bathroom, that little bitty pinky toe sends shockwaves through the entire body, doesn't it? When it gets stubbed, even a part that thinks it's not very important, even a part that thinks there it's insignificant, sends ripple effects through the entire body. One part affects all the others. I can tell you from personal experience, it makes a big difference when Christians aren't engaged in the work of ministry. The simple truth is when you're not putting in some effort into doing your part on this team race, the rest of the team has to work harder to make up the difference, right? Leaders get stressed out about paying the bills if you're not tithing. Staff and volunteers get burnt out if they're doing the work of two or three volunteers. The reputation of the whole church suffers if you're out in the community acting like a fool. It's true. And worst of all, people don't get saved if you're not doing your part to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who you know and inviting your family and friends to church. I can't do it all. We have to do this together. So when all is said and done, running this Jesus race as part of a team has some terrific benefits, but it also has some terrific responsibilities as well. I have to run this Jesus race. Well, I have to run this Jesus race strong because my family is counting on me and my church family is counting on me. You are counting on me to run this Jesus race well. And it's imperative that you run this Jesus race well because I'm counting on you to run it well. And your church family is counting on you to run it well. Our whole team is counting on you. Now, as I mentioned over the past couple Sundays, one of the keys to running a gold medal race for Jesus is don't sin, right? Don't sin. As we talked about over the last couple Sundays, we don't sin because, among other things, sin slows us down and makes us weak. Well, with that in mind, I'd like to point out to you three sins that you need to be on your guard against. Three sins that will not only slow you down as you're running your Jesus race, but will end up slowing all of us down. And so these are very important sins to pay attention to and make sure that you root out from your life. Because your sin, directly or indirectly, affects our church more than you realize. Well, God tells us in Hebrews 11.1 1, that together we need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So, here are three of the biggest sins that entangle Christians and uh, cause churches to struggle and suffer in their running their race for Jesus. Sin number one, we touched on this one last week, is the sin of unbelief. 
the sin of unbelief. As I mentioned last Sunday, I believe the number one sin that God has in the forefront of his mind here in Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three, Hebrews 12 chapters, verses one through three is the sin of unbelief. I think that's the sin that's forefront in God's mind here in Hebrews 12, one. God is deeply concerned about unbelief in his followers. No sin will stop a church dead in its tracks as quickly as the sin of unbelief. Unbelief is a spiritual cancer within a congregation. Uh, right before the, the faith chapter, remember that's Hebrews chapter 11. Right before that faith chapter, uh, the writer of Hebrews says some marvelous things about faith. In the final few verses of chapter 10, I'm going to put them on the screen for you. Notice what it says in Hebrews 10 verses 37 through 39. It says, for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. There's so much packed into these three little verses, but I I want us to focus on that last sentence. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. You see, we are believers, not quitters. Say that with me. We are believers, not quitters. Say it like you believe it. We are believers, not quitters. The writer of Hebrews makes it really, really clear that we are not of the quitting kind. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we follow the greatest, most victorious winner of all time, Jesus Christ. No matter what obstacles Satan threw at him, he overcame and was a victor. No matter what the world threw at him, Jesus overcame and was a victor. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, so quitting does not run through our spiritual blood, does it? We're not quitters. We are the kind who believe. We are believers. So to quote the rock band Journey, don't stop believing, right? Don't stop believing. No matter what tragedies happen in your life, don't stop believing. No matter how many people around you think you're nuts, don't stop believing. Uh, No matter how hard it is to hold on to your faith, don't stop believing because we are believers. We're not quitters. We're not quitters. Remember what God's word tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So let me ask you, do you believe that God exists? Do you know it in your heart, even though you can't experience it with your five senses? Do you know it? Do you believe it? And do you believe God rewards those who serve him, who seek him, who trust him, who love him and obey him? Do you believe that with all your heart? Well, amen. We are of the kind who believe. We're not of the kind who quit. So keep the faith, church. Believe that God is alive and well. Believe that God loves you and is working all things together for good. Believe that God has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Believe that Jesus won't give you more than you can handle with his strength. Believe that nothing that you do for Jesus in this life is in vain. Instead, it will bring glory to God and and bring you eternal reward. 
Believe that God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't waste your pain. God doesn't waste your disappointment. God doesn't waste your heartache. God doesn't waste all that abuse that some of you have gone through. God doesn't waste your illness. He doesn't even waste your failures. God doesn't waste anything. Somehow, some way, we believe that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So believe it, church. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't sit down on the grass and pick daisies. Keep fighting. Keep pressing on. Finish the race. Keep the faith. And we do that together. Sin number one is unbelief. We have to banish unbelief from our minds and hearts if we're going to run this race strong together. Sin number two that we have to deal with is the sin of unforgiveness. The sin of unforgiveness. To me, this is one of the most troubling sins among Christians in America today. It's one of the most troubling sins. It grieves my heart to consider how many Christians hold on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. They seem to have no clue how much collateral damage is caused by holding on to those things. But Christianity Never forget this is nothing without forgiveness. It's nothing. Isn't Christianity founded upon forgiveness? Jesus Christ came. Why? To forgive sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was sent for the purpose of forgiveness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about forgiveness through and through. And so... How can we have Christianity without forgiveness? We can't. I have to have forgiveness in my life if I am going to be a Christian. My Christianity means nothing without forgiveness. Your Christianity means nothing without Christian without forgiveness. Our Christianity means nothing without forgiveness. You remember what Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Remember what he said? Forgive us our debts. Some translations say, forgive us our trespasses, but forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Or forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. And then in case we missed what Jesus was saying there, he follows it up in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. After giving us that Lord's Prayer, he makes it so clear in those next couple verses, verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father, is he really saying this? Yes, he is. Your Father will not forgive your sins. Is Jesus actually saying that his forgiveness of me is largely contingent upon my forgiveness of others? Yes, he is. If I refuse to forgive you for sinning against me, Jesus says God will, forgive to forgive, will refuse to forgive me for sinning against him. Jesus is actually saying that. If you refuse to forgive someone who has sinned against you, he will refuse to forgive you for sinning against him. Well, in churches across America, there are countless divorcees who call themselves Christians, who refuse to forgive their ex-husband or ex-wife. Across America, pews are filled with Christians who are bitter towards someone who stabbed them in the back. They resent people who have betrayed them. Every single Sunday, Christians gather together in churches across America, and they're holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. 
But just a few verses further into Hebrews chapter 12, here's what God tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Make every effort to live in peace with most men, right? That's what it says, right? No, it doesn't. Live in peace with all men. And yes, ladies, that includes you too. Be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Years ago, I memorized these couple verses, and I remember sitting down with a, a brother. Probably it's been, shoot, eight or nine years ago. But I sat down with this brother, and I was hearing his story, and he hadn't talked to a certain family member for over 30 years. And that brother, man, he was holding on to bitterness, and he was holding on to resentment and unforgiveness. And I tried to get him to see in the Scripture that God has called him to forgive and let go of that bitterness and let go of that resentment and put it at the foot of the cross. I'm telling you, it's not just pulling individual Christians down. A refusal to forgive and to let go of bitterness and resentment is pulling entire churches down. If we are going to run this race strong together, we've got to get rid of unforgiveness. Please, stop holding on to your bitterness. Stop holding on to your resentment. Stop holding on to your unforgiveness. God will give you the grace to forgive if you'll go to Him and ask Him to help you forgive. You've got to do it if we're going to finish this Jesus race strong together. Sin number three. We've looked at a couple sins so far that not only pull Christians down in their race, but really pull the whole church down. Number one is unbelief. Number two is unforgiveness. The third also begins with the letters UN. Sin number three, undernourishment. Undernourishment. Even if you've never participated in a group sport, this is just common knowledge. You know this already. If someone is going to compete in an athletic team and have any chance of winning, each athlete needs to condition themselves physically to make sure they exercise and prepare themselves physically for that sport. And they have to watch nutritionally what they eat, don't they? We need good nutrition to, to function at 100% out on the field or on the court, don't we? Any athlete knows this. You've got to make sure you guard your nutrition and you guard your, uh, your conditioning to be able to perform and have your peak performance on the field or court. Well, the same is true spiritually. And across America, churches, I believe, are filled with Christians who were undernourished. They're not taking in the nourishment they need spiritually. And I want to point out quickly three areas where we have to make sure we're taking in nourishment. These are three sources of nourishment for every Christian. Number one, our first source of spiritual nourishment is the Bible. If you are looking at a blank on your handout, for those of you that might have one, you probably could have answered that ten minutes ago. Most of us would know as Christians, the first source of our nourishment, it's right here. The Word of God. It's our spiritual meat. It's our living water. Can I get an amen to that? All right. Amen. You know it's our spiritual meat, don't you? You know it's our living water, don't you? Well, how come you're not reading this book every day then? I'm guessing none of you went last week, even a single day, without eating anything. You ate every day last week, didn't you? Right? 
So if you ate every day last week to give your body the physical nourishment it needs, why on earth did you go several days without even cracking open God's word to give yourself the spiritual meat that your body and your spirit and your heart need? We've got to be making sure we take in the spiritual nourishment of God's word every day. According to the Pew Research Center, 65% of Americans identify as Christians. Interestingly, that's one of the lowest uh, percentages in the past hundred years. But that's anyway what they came up with in the past year. 65% of Americans identify as Christians. Yet according to the last year's State of the Bible report, only 9% of, of Americans read the Bible daily. So 65% say they're Christians, only 9% read the Bible daily. If we assume that 9% is part of the 65% who claim to be Christians, that means only around one in eight American Christians actually pick up God's word and read it every day. One in eight. Church, there's no excuse for that. That's terrible. One in eight. Reading the Bible daily. Is it any wonder why churches across America are emaciated, shrinking and failing? Is it any wonder why churches across America are filled with Christians who are running a pretty shoddy Jesus race? Bottom line, Christians are undernourished. They're spiritually dehydrated. They're spiritually starving. And nobody can run a good race under those conditions. We have to be in God's word every day, but it's not the only source of our spiritual nourishment. Our second source of spiritual nourishment is prayer. Ah, this is where Christians really are doing well every single day, right? Right? Nope, not so much. Do more people pray every day than read the Bible every day? Yes, that's very, very true. Forty eight percent of Americans say they pray every day. That's better than 9% who say they read the Bible every day. So 48% of Americans say they pray every day. But you and I both know that most of these prayers are shotgun prayers. Bless this food in my body. Help me to have a good day. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the roof over my head. Uh, Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Uh, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, quick little shotgun prayers. Not serious time and serious thought in communion with God. Church, each of us who follow Christ need to spend some serious time in prayer with God every day. If we don't, we'll be undernourished. And that will negatively affect our entire team. We have to make sure that we're in God's Word every day. If you're not, it affects the rest of the church, not just you. You have to know God's Word. In order for us to run this race strong together. You have to be in God's word. And you have to be in prayer every day. If we're going to run this Jesus race strong together. And there's a third source of nourishment. Our third source of spiritual nourishment. Is the church itself. According to Gallup. Church membership has been on a rapid decline. For the past 25 years. In the late 1990s. Around 70% of Americans. Affiliated with a certain church. That number, 70% over the last 25 years or so, has plummeted to 47%. Only 47% of Americans, less than half, affiliate with some church of any kind. Sadly, church attendance among Christians has been in a steep decline for the past few decades. And church attendance has plummeted 
since the start of COVID. Probably not a surprise to you that the numbers that were looking a bit peak at a year and a half ago are much worse today. This past week, I had an interesting conversation with Pastor Jack Hamilton. He used to be the executive pastor over at High Desert Church, and uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful man of God, and uh, he spends most of his time just consulting with other churches and pastors and mentoring other pastors. He's a good man, but he keeps up on the statistics and the research better than I do. And in that conversation, he mentioned that the large churches in America uh, studies are showing in recent months that the megachurches, those that have a thousand attenders or more, they have plummeted by 50 percent in their attendance since the start of covid, not even a year and a half ago. Smaller churches of a few hundred members or less are at about 70 percent of their attendance pre covid. So the, the, the leaner, smaller churches are faring a little bit better, but 70 percent. That's nothing to brag about, is it? And so what already was a decline in church attendance has plummeted much quicker since COVID began a little over a year ago. That's a troubling thing. We have to make sure, bottom line, that more than ever before, we are not making church attendance optional. You have to make a decision that it is going to be mandatory for you and the kids in your home. You're going to make church attendance a priority. The results of not doing so have been devastating. Hundreds of churches across America have closed their doors in recent months. Uh, Needs in the community are going unmet. And most tragic of all, millions of Americans are not getting saved because the church is not mobilized to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. The negative ripple effects of Christians not prioritizing church attendance every week. I don't think we can even begin to point them out. So, please, make sure that you do your part to stay well nourished as we run this Jesus race together. Be in God's word, please. Be in God's word every day. Be in prayer. Not just token shotgun prayers every day, but be in serious prayers. Spend quality time with God one-on-one every day. And please make church attendance a priority for you and your family. It's so important that we come together as the body of Christ and encourage and sharpen and cheer one another on and serve each other. Don't ever think that my impact on you is any less than the impact God has called you to have on me. God has called us to encourage and strengthen each other. I strengthen and encourage you. You strengthen and encourage me. We've got to do this thing together. I think the times are really, really dark in so many ways in our nation and in the world. It's not just Afghanistan. It's not just Haiti. All around the world, there are challenges facing us that many of us have never seen in our lifetimes. It is imperative that we lock arms and we run this race together for the glory of God. So please, keep the faith. Eliminate sin from your life. And make sure that you are reading God's Word, praying to Him, and prioritizing church every single week. Oh, may God bless you as you press in on that finish line together with us. We will finish this race strong for Jesus Christ.
Oh, Lord Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together. Thank you for challenging us, oh God, this month. I, I thank you for everyone who's carrying out one of those physical goals this month. That's a marvelous thing, Lord. Help us to lose those final few pounds. Help us, Lord, to have self-control and restraint and, and, and keeping away from uh, those beverages, Lord, that are uh, giving us uh, unnecessary calories or somehow harming our bodies. Lord, help us to, uh, to take care of these uh, temples of the Holy Spirit that you have given us. I just pray, Lord, over these final nine days that you would strengthen uh, each of my brothers and sisters in Christ to, to finish strong physically this month of August. And more important than that, Lord, help us to finish spiritually strong this month. Oh, God, help us to keep the faith. Uh, Lord, we are not of those who are quitters. Uh, we are believers, not quitters. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, even when you give us promises that defy our five senses, even when everyone comes against us and say we're crazy for believing you and following you. Lord, help us to keep the faith in you anyway. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would discipline ourselves each week uh, to be in the word every day, to be in prayer every day and to have our families in church each and every week. Oh, God, may we make you a priority every day of our lives and make church a priority every week of our lives. Oh God, and I pray that you would help us to turn from sin and put sin behind us and let go of that sin that so easily entangles, oh God. Help us, Lord, to avoid those sins of unbelief. Lord, help us to avoid those other sins we talked about over the last few minutes together, Lord. Help us to push them aside and run this race strong for you. God, I can't wait to see what you do through the work of Impact Christian Church as we lock our arms and run this race together for the glory of God and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth here in the weeks and months to come. And be with other churches around us, O oh God, who are doing the same. Strengthen them for the task at hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that uh, you joined us this morning as a reminder. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, this is a great time to do it. We, we like to share with you each week that, you know what? It's not complicated to make a decision to accept Christ. But sometimes it's not easy either, is it? He says you need to admit that you're a sinner. That's the A of the ABCs of accepting Christ. You need to admit that you're a sinner. That's hard for some of us. But you can do it with God's strength. Admit that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And Jesus is the only Savior for you. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Not just for the person next to you, but He died for you. He died for you. Believe that. Trust that with all your heart. And C, choose to put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life. You need to start riding shotgun and put Him in charge. Surrender your life to Him. That's the hardest step of all for some of us. But you can do it with His strength. Surrender your life to Him. Put him in the driver's seat and he will help you let go of that unforgiveness. Let go of that bitterness. Let go of that resentment. Let go of that addiction. Let go of that foul mouth of yours. Let go of those screwed up priorities. He will help you. You can do it with his strength. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. If you want to make that decision today, please reach out to one of us. We've got a couple names and phone numbers on the screen in front of you. You can call them or you can text them. They'd love to pray with you and talk with you. 
about getting right with Jesus. Or if you're just going through some stuff and you need a Christian to pray with you, let us pray with you today. Please reach out to one of our prayer counselors. Well, church, I pray that God blesses and keeps you as you run this race. Uh, We're coming down the home stretch of this month. Keep up the great work on those physical goals you've set for yourself. You're almost there. Don't give up now and continue pressing on and working on those more important spiritual goals. I want to know that you're in God's word every day. If you don't know where to start, just go to Hebrews 11 and start reading about those heroes of the faith. And as you come to a name, flip back to the Old Testament and read their faith story. It's a great place to start. Be in God's word. Be in prayer. I encourage you to spend at least five minutes straight praying to God every day this week. And make sure you join us next Sunday. Be in church. It's so important. And if you're not physically able to be in church at this time, make this online service a priority and make sure there's no distractions because you and I both know it's not just a matter of turning on the broadcast. Sometimes there's a lot of distractions that keep us from paying attention to it. So make that a priority for you and your family each and every week. God bless you. As you run this race with us, we're doing it together for the glory of God and for the advancement of Christ's kingdom here on earth. God bless you.